We'll start with our first verse and then I'll pray and we'll begin. John 15, 26 is really one of our key verses. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. Jesus said this, he will bear witness of me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've given us clear, forthright, and understandable biblical teaching so that we might not be deceived by deceiving spirits and false prophets and will know the truth if we listen to what you said. We thank you for giving us grace and wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one of the reasons for these two lectures on how to discern a true work of the Spirit is that any kind of Christian religious claim is going to claim to be the true work of the Spirit. The number of claims out there right now is astronomical. And I get emails from people in various sorts of churches and movements that are claiming these churches and movements to be the work of the Spirit. Oftentimes, well, many times, things that are really quite bizarre, to tell you the truth. And so we need to know, okay, we, we don't see into the Spirit world. How do we know the Holy Spirit is coming to us? All right. Now, I have some quotes from Luther today, and I think it's to our detriment if we refuse to learn anything from church history. And I do get letters from people that are nasty grams, and what about this, and what about that, and we don't want to hear Luther, we don't want to hear... I don't even quote Calvin. I get rebuked for Calvin. I don't even quote him. (laughs) And so there are a lot of people that come from the ignorance is bliss school of theology. And guess what? I don't listen to them. I don't need more ignorance. Study. You don't have to agree with Luther, but at least study. Don't just sit there and be angry because I cited something that I think was a watershed in church history, if the Reformation, if we really believe in the solas, uh, Scripture alone, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, to the glory of God alone, then how can we say we don't want to learn anything from the Reformation? Now, when the Reformation happened, the key issue to be settled was how does the Holy Spirit come to us? Because... The Roman Catholic Church says we have the Holy Spirit because we've got the priesthood, the vestments, the monasteries, the church hierarchy, the teaching magisterium. We have all of this. That's how the Holy Spirit comes. So if Luther is going to claim something different, they're not going to listen to him unless he can give good evidence that that's the way it is. Now, at the same time as Luther, there was also the Anabaptists, 
the fanatics and, and the sectarians and all kinds of groups, all of whom claim they had the Holy Spirit. And so it doesn't cost anything to make a claim. How did you, did you know that? I can claim to be the only true prophet of God. doesn't make me that. So the reason for this lecture is we need to know amongst all of these claims, there's even more of them today than there was in the time of the Reformation. How do we know that it's the Holy Spirit is coming to us and by what means? And I'm saying this passage right here may be the most central of all of them. I have 34 slides with verses all saying the same thing. This one may be the clearest, and it's the one that Luther cited. The Holy Spirit testifies about Christ. Christ and the Father said the Spirit. The Spirit testifies about Christ. The Holy Spirit inspires the scriptures, according to Timothy. The scriptures are God-breathed. Men spoke by the Holy Spirit. It says in John 5, 39, I'm just going to quote this to you. I don't have a slide. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. John 5, 39, Jesus said, it is these that testify about me. And so the scriptures testify about Jesus Christ. And the scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the scriptures are a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies about Christ, not about preachers and cardinals and bishops and prelates and religious organizations and all the sort of trappings that there are out there. The Holy Spirit testifies about Christ. And this testimony concerns Jesus Christ come in the flesh. Not a spirit, Jesus floating around in the cosmos. Even the Eastern religion and New Age people will be willing to accept a spirit, disembodied Jesus floating around in the cosmos. Okay, this is the Christ who came in the flesh, who was born of the virgin, who lived a sinless life, who died for sins, was bodily raised and bodily ascended into heaven. Now, I told you I'd quote some from Luther. In his dispute, he wanted to identify how the Holy Spirit comes to us. One of his most famous axioms, which I think is biblical, is this one. And I'm quoting here from one of his commentaries. Luther says, for the Holy Spirit does not come without the word. Now, there's a double negative Elsewhere, he says, the Holy Spirit comes to us through the Word. The Holy Spirit inspired the Word. The Word of God is God speaking to us. The Word of God testifies about Christ. Luther says, the Holy Spirit does not come without the Word. That's how he comes. Now, the issue is who really has the Spirit. Let me quote some more Luther. This is from his commentary on John 14 through 16 says Luther, for when the Holy Spirit comes, his one office, as Christ says later in chapter 16, will be to preach of me and to glorify me. Thus one can surely find him 
and differentiate and separate the true Christians or the true church from the false. This is Luther. John 16. Why? Because the Holy Spirit speaks about Christ, not about some human religious leader. Continuing on with Luther here, when the Comforter comes, whom the Father will give you through my intercession, quoting Christ, you will surely know him and have him with you. Why? Because he will preach solely of me and will tell you all I have from the Father. That's how we know the confession of Christ. Luther goes on, let us investigate to see who they are that preach correctly about Christ and extol the baptism, the sacrament, and the gospel he gave us. If it be found that great multitude which boasts of being the church and of having the Holy Spirit who preaches through it is a false proclamation and a lying spirit, the devil's church and vessel, even though it decks and adorns itself with the names like God, Christ, Holy Spirit, and Christendom, and so on. Fine. There's all sorts of denominations and groups, but here's the issue. Is Christ preached? Remember John the Baptist when he was locked up had some doubts? And he sent his disciples to act about Christ. What was the answer? The gospel is preached to the poor. Tell him that. The signs of messianic salvation are on the scenes of history. And you can be sure that those devoid of the Spirit have no motivation to proclaim Christ because there's a price to be paid. Now, remember last week's lecture, I went through a whole bunch of verses about this. I'm going to go through more. We need to publicly, forthrightly, and without apology, in the bad sense of the word apology, preach Christ. Even Paul could rejoice if Christ was preached by people that had vain glory and bad motives. At least they preached Christ. Let's go on here, and I'll have a little more Luther for you later. This is an interesting example, but I think it really underscores the profundity of our belief here that the Holy Spirit causes people to confess Christ. Balaam was a false prophet is condemned as such in the Old and New Testaments. And Balak was going to pay him a lot of money to curse Israel. But Israel contained the promise of the coming Messiah. And so Balaam was an occultist and he was going up on the high places using his divination. And he brought out his best tricks out of his book of curses to try to curse whom God has blessed. And when he got there, remember Balak said, now I want you to curse these people. I'm paying you good money. (laughs) Despite himself, this just shows you that even through a false prophet, if the spirit comes upon a false prophet, they'll preach Christ, even though they don't really want to. Balaam, raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. This is extraordinary because he was a false prophet. And here's what he says, I see him, but not now. 
I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise in Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of tumult. Even a false prophet, when the Holy Spirit comes upon him, preaches Christ. Is discernment that hard? It isn't. It's, the, it's so simple. If we would just do it. Told you last week the story. It's a person who went to the laughing revival and came back a week later and reported that Christ was not preached, but it was a great revival. Well, she wasn't totally convinced of that. And I said, it can't be a revival if Christ is not preached. Well, we have this new church growth movement and we fill churches with thousands of people. Is Christ preached? Not exactly. Yes, Mike. I think you might be going <clears throat> to where, what I was thinking, and that's, is it the true Christ that they're preaching? We, we you know... A lot of people preach Christ, but it's not the true Christ. Christ. It's a false Christ, and it's deceived. That deceives more people than not preaching Him right. at all. What's generally preached? Because that's why First John's so important. That we started with last week. Jesus Christ come in the flesh. Now, historically, both in Roman Catholicism and in Protestant denominations, historically. The way they sought to ensure this was with creeds. And the creeds, for the most part, are accurate. The Nicene Creed is accurate. The creeds you find in Lutheranism or Reformed would be accurate. And to that degree, we can rejoice. In other words, if the only place, if I go, I've done this before at a funeral pull out the book of prayer that's in front of me. The pastor refuses to preach Christ, but I open, open up the documents, and in there is Christ. And a confession through a creed of the true person of Christ. Whoever wrote that creed in history had the Holy Spirit. I was at one such funeral where the son-in-law of the lady whose funeral they're having the pastor quoted from the book of prayer or whatever, and in that much that so you could find Christ. The son-in-law got up and preached Christ, found out later that she, the pastor, was offended and angry. How dare you do that? And I would say just the opposite. How dare you put these creeds in your book and then get angry when somebody preaches what's in the creed? What are you doing there? Find a different job. There's got to be something else you can do. <laughs> if you're not going to preach Christ, then what point is it? This is not really a very good job. <laughs> Poor career. The only career worse than this is being an airline pilot, right, Eric? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyhow, um, but preaching Christ is the greatest joy and blessing that a person has ever had. Hallelujah. Here's something that Luther said. Yes, in their counsel, they've already condemned the doctrine of the gospel that we receive forgiveness of sin and salvation through Christ, not through our works or through our monastic life. 
just because we preach of Christ so simply and purely saying that we must rest all our salvation on him alone. So therefore, Trent says, anathema, be damned to hell, you who preach Christ and him alone. Be damned to hell, you who say you can know forgiveness of sins once for all. Oh, yes. Somebody, one of these times, that'd be a good Sunday school if we just went through, walked our way through Trent. Anyhow, and it's not all bad. There's good stuff in there. So, um, preaching Christ alone, there's one of our solas, is a way that the Holy Spirit comes to the people. Now, if I'm a good orator, if I have funny stories, I can hold the attention of a lot of different kind of people. Great, but there's no power in that. There's no forgiveness of sins. But if Christ be preached by the one, anyone, however haltingly they're able to do so, there is a work of the Spirit. Powerful and profound and life-changing. Christ is preached. Now, Luke-Acts is probably our best source of proof in the Scripture for what we're studying here, which is the Holy Spirit comes to us through the Word, and when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, what happens is we preach Christ. Now, why is that so? I have one of the first ones here in Luke-Acts. Luke-Acts is a two-volume work by the same author, Luke, the physician. And Luke is a brilliant writer, very well versed in Greek, which you can't say about all the New Testament writers. And in his style of writing, inspired by the Spirit, he gives us verbal clues about who we ought to listen to. There's characters who are historical characters in Luke Acts who speak. And we need to know, do they speak for God or are they a false teacher? How do we know who to listen to? One of the things Luke does in his verbal cues, discourse markers, right, is that the one speaking for God, it says the Holy Spirit came upon them or something of that nature. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon people in Luke Acts, they always testify about Christ. Even as in the case of Stephen, if it costs them their life, they confess Christ. Now, here we start with Elizabeth and the mother of John the Baptist. And it says here, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. There's our clue. Aha. Whatever she says now, we better listen to. Okay. She was filled with the Holy Spirit and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Isn't that interesting? When the Holy Spirit came upon Elizabeth, she understood before he was even born 
the Lordship of Christ. However well she understood it, she proclaimed it. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we confess Christ. Uh, Rich, do you want to? Yeah, I'm beginning to see a pattern here over you speaking on this week after week. Not only is this for a leader who preaches or teaches God's word, Let's get a little micro here. You're going mi- macro. Let's go micro here. Micro meaning that it is salvation. I mean, talk about a litmus test for, for a person who's saved. Is someone who understands who Jesus Christ is and is able to testify of him. I mean, is that not the ultimate There's litmus the, test yeah, for salvation? A guy who understands. The Spirit working in, yeah, through the church, each person. Who reveals Jesus Christ to him in spirit and in truth. Amen. Exactly. It doesn't have to be a preacher with a pulpit. That's not the point. It's anybody. That's how we know we have the Spirit. Yes, uh, Floyd. Someone can be brand new, saved, and they, they, they don't have all their ducks in a row, to, so to speak. Oh, yeah. If you believe on the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. Yeah, it's not necessary from day one that you can do everything about Christology that Eric and I do on the radio. I mean, we just spent, it probably hasn't been broadcast yet, but we spent two weeks on Galatians 4.4, just on the doctrine of Christ. But it doesn't mean you couldn't, we couldn't confess Christ earlier. I have a slide coming up here. When Paul's converted, the Apostle Paul, who was an enemy of the gospel, the first thing he did was went out and confessed Christ. He hadn't learned all of this yet, but he loved the Lord and he confessed Christ. So studying the personal work of Christ is not an academic work. It's a work of faith. And what God has said and has revealed is important for us to know and to learn. And as we begin with rudimentary understanding of Christ and his forgiveness of sins, we grow from there. We want to learn. Now, Luther, because a lot of people were illiterate, which is something that he certainly worked against, trying to make people literate through the church. The reason for catechisms and uh, creeds was to put the truth of the gospel in small packages that people could believe and receive. All right? But that doesn't mean it exhausted everything that is revealed. And so the original idea was good, but then here later, hundreds of years later, to just throw that into a book of prayer and then preach on something else from the pulpit, Luther would totally rebuke that. No, you can't do that. Why are you in the pulpit and you won't preach Christ? That's anathema. It's reprehensible. It's a failure of one's sacred calling. Luther wasn't exactly politically correct. That's why I like reading him. He's funny. Literally, he's a riot. He says this, Therefore, ponder this well. And learn to say, even if a thousand times as many great and holy councils, popes, bishops had decided and decreed this, even if they glorified the name of the church and of the Holy Spirit ever so much, 
It is nevertheless false in the devil's invention for the preaching and teaching is in variance with that of Christ. But I would say the opposite. Now, if the Pope did preach Christ and the free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins by grace alone, through faith alone, we would have to take note of that as a work of the Spirit. But it hasn't happened. As a matter of fact, Trent anathematizes that doctrine. Now, let's go on here. Let's look at Luke X. Here is Zacharias. Okay, notice what it says there. I have it highlighted in red. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's Luke's way of saying, listen to this guy. All right, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we want to hear what he has to say. And his father, this John the Baptist, was Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He prophesies of messianic redemption through Christ. Now, if you know the Old Testament, you know prophecy, you understand how significant this is that we have a visitation. Remember Jesus later laments that they didn't recognize the day of their visitation. The visitation is the presence of messianic salvation on the scene of history. Hallelujah. This excites me because it gives me all the more motive to preach Christ. That's the thing to do. It may seem redundant. Well, you can decide how you want your redundancy. Do you want a creed in the back of the hymnal or do you want your preachers to preach Christ? I think the preaching Christ is more powerful. I will. You don't even have to twist my arms. Now, what about a false gospel? Luther rightly says this about Galatians 1.8. Thus, St. Paul passed a sentence in Galatians 1.8 saying that it is accursed even if angels from heaven were to teach it. That is a different gospel. Let's go on with our Luke-Acts study. We haven't gone very far. We're still in Luke 1. Now we have some more to give to his people. Now we have a day of visitation to give to his people the knowledge of salvation. Notice, by the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, which the sunrise from on high will visit us. Wow. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes on someone. Now, the word for forgiveness in the Greek means release. So later when Jesus announces his ministry in Luke 4, he announces the release of the captives. So if you get the picture here, Israel in particular and all people in general are captives. Captives not to a foreign conqueror so much as to their own sins. And when Jesus comes on the scene of history, the people don't want to listen to him because they'd rather be free from the foreign conqueror than free from their own sin. You see that in John 8. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Now we're never in bondage. We're Abraham's children. 
And then, so there's a debate that ensues in, in John chapter 8. They're more worried about the foreign conqueror. That's not the point. Forgiveness of sins. Hope I haven't wore this illustration out, but it just stands out in my mind. I ended up out in Lake Forest, California at the last day of this big purpose-driven convention that had leaders in that movement from all over the world. And it was just before the presidential forum that happened there at Saddleback Church. Okay. And as I was there, I met my Lutheran friend, Chris Roseboro there. He had been there four days. We were hearing about how we're going to change the world and solve problems for the Philippines and for various nations in Africa. We're going to cooperate with businesses, government, and churches or religious institutions. He broadens it out to include Muslims and other religions. And that's how we're going to have peace. Pastor Rick wanted to meet with some critics. And so Chris and I were the two critics who showed up. And so we ended up, after all the news things and all these thousands of people and all of this hoopla, we're sitting in this little trailer over there uh, waiting. And here comes Rick Warren with his entourage. And Chris, God bless him, said, I've been here for four days and I've yet to hear what you have about forgiveness of sins. What's your plan for forgiveness of sins? Right? Nothing. He didn't even respond to that. No forgiveness of sins. Yes. Question. By foreign occupiers or conquerors, are you referring to uh, Romans? Okay. At that point, it was Rome, but it could have been anybody in the future. Just wanted to clarify. Yeah, they wanted national sovereignty, and they didn't have it. And they were offended that... They thought Jesus was mentioning that. So Israel was more interested in being freed from that political rather than their forgiveness freedom. of their sins. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah, political freedom rather than release from sins. But see, that's my point, bringing up this purpose-driven. Give up the forgiveness of sins for political freedom. Going backwards. You're not offering the one thing we know that Christ has that people can't get anywhere else. Forgiveness of sins. A thesis, isn't that the word? Release. And so it pictures us as in captive bondage, tied up, unable to do anything for ourselves, and the mercy of God comes. The sun rises from on high with a visitation, and the result is release from sins. Ah, yes. Luke 2, now we made it a chapter forward here. In Luke Acts, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. Now, here Luke tells us right up front this man was righteous and devout, a good person to listen to, right? Looking for the consolation of Israel, in other words, awaiting Messiah. And the Holy Spirit is upon him, so he's righteous and devout, the Holy Spirit's on him. Simeon's Utterance here becomes sort of programmatic for Luke Acts. In other words, these themes will be developed 
throughout Luke and then later in Acts. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Let's go on. And he came, in verse 27, in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he, Simeon, took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost set thy bondservant, let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. In the person of Christ, even as an infant, here was the salvation of God, the consolation of Israel. So the Holy Spirit comes upon Simeon, Simeon testifies of Christ. He said some other things about the rise and fall of many in Israel. Now let's go forward to John the Baptist. I'm just giving you a little walk through Luke Acts. Different people the Holy Spirit came upon. Here's John the Baptist, Luke 3, 16. John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, And I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John the Baptist, who was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb, testifies about Christ who's coming after him. This oracle and this idea is quoted later by Peter in Acts chapter 11. So here we have some beautiful narrative unity in Luke-Acts. So he, yes, uh, Eric over here. I'll go to the next slide in the meantime. Thanks a lot. I'll um, go back. Back in that Luke 3.16, the one who is coming, that's a messianic reference in itself. It's a reference back to Psalm 118.22, the Hallel Psalm, where it talks about the one who comes in the name of Yahweh. And so now John the Baptist is using that phrase, the one who is coming, as a technical phrase from Psalm 118.22 of the coming Messiah. So it's a clear messianic reference there. Amen. Yeah. And so the Holy Spirit comes. How does the Holy Spirit come to us? I totally agree with Luther. He comes to us through the Word. That's how we know. And he testifies of Christ. So now someone asked me after last week, well, did what happened to means of grace? Were you teaching on means of grace? My answer was, I still am. That's this. <laughs> What's means of grace about? It defines how the Holy Spirit comes to us. Okay? You can go spend a week at the Laughing Revival and hear nothing about Christ. Or you could do something not so bizarre like go on a mercy trip where you help the poor. Not a bad thing to do. I believe in common grace and I believe in good deeds. But if Christ is not preached, that's not a work of the Spirit. So you can heal the body and allow the soul to go off into hell. If Christ is not preached, 
in emergent, there's a, my second chapter on that movement was on missions. Miss the, uh, they call it, uh, what do they call it again? Mission? Missional. Missional. Thank you. Missional. What does that mean? Well, they tell you. Go around out here and see what God's doing and join it. And I describe why that is totally inappropriate and impossible. We think we know what God's doing by our own prejudice. If you're a social gospel person, you go out and you see food being handed out. You, you think in your mind, that's what God's doing. You join that. If you're somebody inclined in some other way, you might think, well, building a stronger governmental structure would be what God's doing. I'm going to run for office. And somebody else might say, well, I think what God's doing is building bridges and skyscrapers. I'm going to get an engineering degree. You can imagine what you think God would be doing if God was indeed doing something. And then you join it, but you have no authoritative word from God saying what he really is doing. And that is proclaiming Christ and the gospel. That's how we know. And so if we go to a conference and Christ is preached, even if there's some things we might not agree with, we have to come back rejoicing that Christ was preached. Amen? If we, don't, if we can't do that, then we're missing the point in Philippians. Christ was preached. Luke 3.22 Here is one of the more powerful ones. God himself testifying about Christ. When the Holy Spirit came, Luke 3, 22, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him, that is Jesus, in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven. Thou art my beloved son, and thee I'm well pleased. So here we have the father testifying about the son on the occasion of the Holy Spirit coming. I was talking about means of grace. I'm agreeing with Luther. The Holy Spirit comes to us through the word. In Acts 2.42, they gathered and were devoted to the apostles' teaching on the heels of Peter preaching Christ. And then it says they were breaking bread. That's the Lord's Supper, which is about Christ. Luther said that uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper are the visible word. They are Christ proclaimed to us through his ordained, what he called sacraments. I'd use the term ordinances. So as we gather and break bread and explore the glories of our mutual salvation through the gospel, that's means of grace. That's how the Holy Spirit comes to us. That's how the Holy Spirit expresses himself through us. It's active. It's objective. It's definable. It has boundaries. And that's the Holy Spirit coming to us. I have an article that I wrote Thursday, and I'm going to try to spruce it up a little before it's published, but it's about neo-paganism. 
neo-paganism and spirituality without boundaries. Yeah, is that Romans 10, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Word it's amazing how many times you can read the Scriptures and not get anything out of it until all of a sudden it all comes together. Right. But you know what's exciting to me, what I, what I really, really like doing, Rich? Preaching the universal call. You probably, you know that if you've been here. I love preaching the universal call. Come unto me, says Jesus, all you are weary and heavy laden. Mark 1, 14, 15. The kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. Repent and believe the gospel. The end of Revelation in Romans. Romans 10, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. So when we preach Christ, there's a good chance faith will come. I don't know when. The Holy Spirit is like the wind. But he comes on the occasion of the preaching of Christ, the Lamb. So then I would ask, um, like when you talk about discernment, that man is able to pervert the word like Eve did in the garden and so our job as people sitting here is to be like the Bereans and study the word and dig out what is true yep. from what is false. Yeah, and beware of false synonyms. The Mormon church will claim to preach Christ, but their Christ is a created being, not the Christ of the Bible, who is a half-brother of Satan. That's not the Christ of the Bible. Okay, and so... Definitions are, are important and necessary. That's Jesus Christ coming to flesh. Peter, did you have something? Okay, let's keep going here. So here is God himself testifying about the Son. And now here's Jesus testifying about himself. Notice in Luke 4, 18, again, this is programmatic. The themes that are introduced in Luke Acts in Luke 4, 18 are expounded upon throughout the rest of the two-volume work. You better know Luke 4.18 if you want to understand Luke-Acts. Here's what it says, Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me. Now, what? stop right there. What does the term Christ mean? Ha Christos in the Greek. What does that mean? The anointed one. And so that's the claim of being the Messiah. Here is Jesus Christ quoting Isaiah and claiming to be the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Remember, that was the sign that was given to John the Baptist. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Wow. Release here is the same word translated as forgiveness. As I've been reading Luther, I have the complete works of Luther on Logos software, which is searchable. And I've been reading a lot of this, and his autobiography kind of comes out in there. He was tormented in regard to the matter of the forgiveness of sins. Absolutely tormented, unrelentingly so, hopelessly so, Became a monk, tried a monastic, tried academic studies, tried everything the church 
had to offer for the poor souls struggling and found nothing. Finally, he was assigned the duty of teaching the book of Romans in a university. And there in Romans chapter 1, he found the righteousness of God, which is by faith. And so what was precious and life-changing, what he called a thunderbolt from heaven, was that in Christ, by faith alone, one found the forgiveness of sins. Those who proclaimed that were anathematized by the church. Won't anyone who believes the forgiveness of sins comes as a free gift? But we have to search the scriptures. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are downtrodden. The only thing that's necessary as we're convicted of sin is that we actually believe we're captive. Oh, yes. Isn't that the issue in John chapter 8? He said, unless you believe that I am a claim of deity, you shall die in your sins. And then he said to those who believed him superficially, that if you continue in my word, you'll be disciples indeed. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. They said, well, we're not captive. Oh, so you don't have any need. So you're already perfected. So you're able to perfectly keep God's commands without any help. So therefore, you don't need forgiveness of sins. Oh, yes. The Jews said they didn't need it, at least the leaders. In Luther's day, he said they turned God's commands into councils intended only for perfect people to say nothing of other abominations and errors. Where is the forgiveness of sins? Is it any better when we go out to a conference of thousands of leaders and there's no forgiveness of sins? Where do we find that? In God's providence, my friend Chris and I ended up at an emergent conference. Top emergent leaders from all over, including their speaker, Jürgen Moltmann. And they had a communion service. I told you about this, but it was weird. The music was weird. They were calling the Holy Spirit she. And they were calling, using this weird music, calling she to come down. And Chris was sitting there next to me. He says, they're calling down the goddess. I said, let's get out of here. I can't take this. <laughs> And Chris said, no, I want to find out what they do. I want to see when they actually break the bread, what they're going to say. I said, okay, but I'm getting out of there. We're, we're, we're out of here when that bread's broke. <laughs> and they said this and that about the body, but Chris, God bless him, my dear Lutheran friend, says, where is the forgiveness of sins? Absent. You won't admit that anybody has sin or redefine it. Dear ones, may the forgiveness of sins promised by the Lord Jesus Christ himself never depart from our understanding. His means of grace 
are about how God reminds us that our sins are forgiven. Luke twelve ten, going forward. Now here's one that some people question. What does this mean? It's about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Luke twelve ten, and everyone who will speak a word against the Son of Man it shall be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven. There's our word. Released him. Now, what's going on? This makes more sense to me now. I used to look at that. What in the world does this mean? Here's the deal. I think the Holy Spirit testifies of Christ. If we blaspheme the Holy Spirit, deny that Christ is really the anointed one, there's nowhere to go anymore. That's the unique role of the Spirit that he testifies of Christ. And if we shut that off, we can have a Christ, but not the one of the Bible. And so if we don't have the Spirit and we blaspheme him, we don't have Christ either. Now we might blaspheme Christ, God forbid, and then later hear the Holy Spirit through the preached word testifying of Christ and then come to faith. Brian. Didn't, <clears throat> didn't we cover a lot of that in that Hebrews Bible study? Yes, There was did. a lot of the denial yes. of the uh, Holy Spirit. Yes, we did. When we did the Hebrews Bible study, did it for years, didn't we? Even when there was only a dozen of us. Yeah, when Brian first came, he had this thick, dark hair. Look what happens when you study Hebrews for four or five years. While we're young. We learned a lot, didn't we? Now, what about the disciples? Here's one that I found helpful in discerning some of these popular movements. Matthew 10, 18 through 20. And you shall even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not become anxious about how or what you will speak, for it shall be given you in that hour what you are to speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Now, there, I think there's a reason for this. I thought about this when I was on the plane on the way out to the that meeting out in California in front of all these dignitaries. I thought about this passage. The one thing we know the Holy Spirit will do through us is testify about Christ. Okay, and so I can go and argue this, that, and the other thing, but I purposed in my heart that if nothing else happens, I'm going to preach Christ. And so I was able to do so, to preach Christ. That's what matters. Everything else, they can get somewhere else. Now, why would this be? I, I noticed that just as you're going in front of somebody who's considered a dignitary, it's very easy to get the fear of man and start currying favor. Oh, yeah, I think the, the king could probably help me. He could put me on the royal budget. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> one thing for sure, if you preach Christ, you don't go on the royal budget. You don't go in the king's will. You get a royal kick in the shins. Yeah. And so the Holy Spirit will always testify of Christ. So here it doesn't mean preachers don't need to study for their sermon. But then when we're called in front of important people, rather than being filled with fear or trying to think of some way to curry the favor of this important person, the Holy Spirit within us will cause us to testify of Christ. And the king will either be converted or something bad might happen to us. But Christ will be glorified, yes. And it would be the same with, like, martyrs, too, wouldn't it? Because you see the martyrs of the past, present, and then in the future. I ask myself, how do these people... It would be so easy for some people to just say, okay, I accept uh, uh, Muhammad. Don't shoot me in the head, okay? But it's the Holy Spirit that gives them strength at that time to do or say... Any one of us under that kind of diarrhea will confess Christ. Now, what about weak faith? I'm going to go to to Luther again on that because he struggled so badly with doubts for so many years and finally found the gospel. What if your faith is weak? In fact, most of us, I would have to say, no matter how long we've been a Christian, would think... I don't trust me. I might not like the pain. You know, if they're going to martyr me. If you get old and sick enough, you don't mind. It doesn't sound so bad when you're young. It sounds really bad. The Holy Spirit works in our hearts, and these people are no different than us. Luther said this, and could you get the mic over to Luann? And he talked about the attack against the gospel by those who claim they have the spirit but don't. Luther said this, this is not going to frighten us. Therefore, he says, be undaunted. No matter how strong and defiant they are and how feeble our faith is, still we do believe it in Christ our Lord and suffer for our faith. We may have feeble faith, but that feeble faith is in a great Christ. Remember the man in the Bible who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief? That's a statement of faith. If you understand, I'm weak and doubting, but I believe that Christ really is who he claimed to be. That's tr- that's what you want. That's what you need. Yes, Luann. Well, I was just thinking, um, and I have to preface because I did not see it personally, but that woman last fall who was hauled off the Senate floor, um, the recorder, because she was um, giving a testimony. And, you know, the media ends up making her look like an absolute kook because of her what she was testifying. You know, yeah, it's, it's, you know, confessing Christ is never going to be popular. But, you know, we have... Think about this, all right? The whole time I was in seminary, once things shifted over to the seeker-sensitive model and the therapeutic model, the gospel is driven out of pulpits. What safer place is there to preach Christ than from a pulpit set up to do just that? In a building built by the sweat and treasure of a previous generation who believed that someday the Christ would continue to be preached 
And yet we go to the seminar and says people don't want to hear about that. They want to know how you're going to make them less lonely and so on and so forth. Dear ones, we don't even have the courage to preach Christ in our own pulpits. How are we going to do it anywhere else? Isn't that bad? We better preach Christ or maybe we don't have the spirit. One more. Oh, I'm out of time. This is too much. Okay, slide 21. Let me, somebody remind me in two weeks, slide 21. So we're out of time. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would have our faith anchored in the gospel and that we would confess Christ even when It's not popular to do so. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.